G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. In today's program we feature the voices of workers and union organisers who will be going to the September 20th Global Day for Climate Action Rallies being held around the country and indeed around the world. We hear why they will be standing with students who have invited adults to come and stand with them for their future, to stop seeing the issues of climate change as background noise to business as usual, to stop impersonating lobsters as the water starts to boil and it is too late. But first, a word from climate activist, author and public commentator Naomi Klein. Talking to unionists in Paris in 2005 at the World Summit and Climate, followed by Dr Colin Long in Melbourne, the first sustainability officer employed by a Trades Hall Council in Australia, whose job is to look at a just transition in this time of climate upheaval. Let's hear from... Naomi Klein. So in the LEAP Manifesto, we have these key demands. We need to invest in our decaying public infrastructure so that it can withstand increasingly frequent extreme weather events. That's pretty obvious. And we also call for all of those obvious investments in energy efficiency, you know, in, in, renewable, uh, in renewable-based transit and rail and so on that we know create up to 10 times more jobs than investments in oil and gas. But we do something else. And I, this is actually I think the most important part of the manifesto, which is that we call for more than green jobs in disaster response and putting up solar panels. We're also calling for a wave of investments in the low-carbon workforce that is already out there. Okay, What we're trying to do is redefine what is a climate job. It is not just guys in hard hats putting up solar panels. Um, It's that too, but we have to expand those sectors that are already low carbon, caregiving, teaching, social work, healthcare, the arts, public interest media. You know, environmentalists don't usually mention it, but teaching and caring for kids doesn't burn much carbon, neither does caring for the sick. Um, So when we care for each other, we are also caring for the earth. And it's important. We can expand these parts of our economy. They can be the the fastest growing parts of our economy, but at the same time, we do need to contract extraction. We can't do it all. We need to contract those parts of our economy that are based on extraction and mindless consumption, and we need to expand those parts of our economy that are based on caring for the earth and caring for one another. It is true that we need to think of uh, climate jobs as much more broad than just working in renewable energy and In fact, there aren't that many jobs in renewable energy. It's one of the attractions of renewable energy, of course, that once you've built your solar farm or your wind farm, there's not an awful lot of maintenance to be done on those facilities. It's one of the reasons why the price of power from those facilities is very cheap. So it's got to be more than that. It's got to be the caring jobs and all of those sorts of jobs are clearly part of the future. But the reality is those sorts of jobs are expanding quite rapid rate now, the jobs that are declining at a rapid rate, irrespective of climate action, 
but it's things like technological uh, redundancy and other problems uh, and internationalisation, offshoring, all of those sorts of things are blue-collar jobs. Uh, Blue-collar jobs are declining at a rapid rate. They will decline even faster if we deal with climate change, especially if we're talking about our fossil fuel sector. So we do have to think about what sort of blue-collar jobs can be created because there's a real need for blue-collar jobs in the economy. And so that means we have to be thinking also about Uh, expanding manufacturing of clean energy goods and um, factories and, uh, you know, solar panels or or wind turbines or or other aspects of renewable energy. But uh, I think we also need to be thinking about um, local economy um, diversification, especially in regional centres, to provide a full range of jobs. The reality is we are not going to get uh, former coal miners to be working in teaching or uh, aged care or caring. That's not going to happen. So we need to think about jobs for those people. What we what we need that the Germans were able to achieve was bringing together employers, unions and government to make long-term plans and put large amounts of government investment into the transition. So Germany has largely closed its black coal industry. It's now working out how to close its brown coal industry. And it's intending to close all brown coal power generation by 2038 and is committed to 40 billion euros in economic diversification uh, in the regions where those brown coal generators exist. That's the scale of money that needs to be put in and it probably does need to be public investment. Uh, To me, it's clear what needs to be done. What we're tending to do in Australia at the moment is spend an awful lot of time and energy and wasting our time devising complex market mechanisms and making sure that the national electricity market has all sorts of incentives and signals to try and uh, tempt private in capital to invest in renewable energy when it's quite simple what we should be doing. We should have a clear plan for the closure of coal-fired power stations up to, I say, probably 2035. We should know when each one is going to close and the last one will close in 2035. We should then have a clear idea of what renewables should replace those power stations as they close, where it will occur and what will happen to the workers and the communities uh, that are displaced by the closure of the coal-fired power station, making sure that they all have good, uh, secure jobs, whether it's in renewables or some other form of economic activity in in their region. That's actually a reasonably clear task. It doesn't need a whole lot of complex market mechanisms to do that. After all, uh, it was the state government that uh, in Victoria invested in the development of the coal-fired power stations in the first place. They didn't have to invent a complex market mechanism to get people, private companies, to invest in them. It just decided we needed large-scale generation capacity for the state's future and built it. Well, I don't think anyone is actually saying that the jobs are over today or tomorrow. I think what is needed is a commitment from all sides, from the employers, from unions, from governments, to say... There will, these industries, fossil fuel industries, don't have a long-term future in a world where we are seriously dealing with climate change. So we must identify a time and a date when we will be essentially closed. These industries will be closed. There will be a transition period. There will be, uh, and we will ensure that the workers um, 
have other jobs and other economic t- activities to go to. No, no worker, no community will be left behind in that process. But it does mean we have to acknowledge there will be a transition. At the moment, you know, I think the CFMU understands very well in coal-fired power generation that uh, there needs to be a transition and I think they would like to have a much better process of planning around that transition than it exists at the moment. Look, I think the problem is that a lot of people talked about uh, the climate uh, election, a lot of people talked about just transition, but there was no real meat to the bones of what people were talking about. What does it, I don't think there was any worker in a coal mine in Queensland that could have... You, I don't think anyone had any sense if they were told, okay, we're gonna, your mine is going to close and you'll have to do something else. I don't think any worker there had a sense of what else that was going to be. I don't think anyone was proposing um, terrific plans about what jobs people were going to go to, what their wages would be, how secure their jobs would be um, and what uh, their community was going to be like. So when you create a huge amount of fear and uncertainty uh, amongst people, uh, for people, I think it's the same for anyone. Um, you won't necessarily get people uh, voting the way you want them to to vote. I think you you create uh, you know anger from that fear, and a lot of that is reflected in the vote for the parties like uh, One Nation in in Queensland. Where I don't, you know, I've heard stories of people saying, "Well, I voted One Nation. I don't particularly like any of their policies." But Pauline Hanson, I voted for her because she sticks it up on. It's what I feel like at the moment because no one has got my interests at heart. Uh, there's a lot of people involved in the um, fossil fuel industry that would love to have uh, good, secure jobs doing something other than um, helping to create pollution in the world. But we, we're not being able to convince them that those jobs and those economic activities are out there for them uh, to to move to. So the, the Maritime Union is doing terrific work on proposing a framework around offshore uh, wind. Unions are engaged in thinking about these ideas about how we can move from uh, mining and uh, fossil fuels to renewables, and it is possible. We've just got to demonstrate that it's possible and give and give people hope and, and actually show them that it's possible, and that's the sort of thing we're trying to do with the Star of the South pro- um, proposal in the, in the Trade Valley. But to get to the September 20th, so uh, Trades Hall Executive, the, all of the union affiliates to Trades Hall, unanimously passed a motion on Friday, last Friday, in support of the climate strike on the 20th of September. And, and the important thing about that, that date and that event is it's not a student strike. It's not just us supporting the students. This is a call for a strike for all people workers and students, because it's all our future and we can't just leave it up to the students, although the, the work they're doing is fantastic, but it's everyone needs to be working together. So the unions have committed to taking, um, to organising to participate in the climate strike. So I was really pleased that unions have got on board to support the strike. Um, other unions, some unions have also passed, indiv- individual unions have passed motions uh, to engage as well. I say to people at a conference or wherever I go that actually one of the major climate change and just transition issues that most people aren't aware of is actually industrial relations law in this country. So Australia has the most repressive anti-union laws in the OECD today and that actually prevents 
unions uh, organising workers to do the sorts of things um, what unions should be doing, just fighting for decent paying conditions. It means that we now have uh, one of the most insecurely employed workforces in the world. It means we have flatlining wages. And without the ability to improve those terms and conditions of employment, workers just feel insecure. And insecure workers are not going to trust anyone around uh, industry restructuring or where they're going to get their a new job from. And the history of Australia is that our industry restructuring uh, is appalling. Usually workers get it in the neck, and that's the reality. And until unions are able to get some power back, and that means seriously changing the industrial relations laws in this country and stopping the attacks on unions, then we're not going to be able to fundamentally shift the discourse around just transition so that, but that's only going to be achievable with a significant fight, to be honest. And I suspect the way we're heading, the way that the coalition government is heading, uh, I think they'll be trying to crack down further on unions, and it may indeed come to unionists having to go to jail again, to uh, to once again, you know, really get people on the streets to, to determined to uh, fight back. I think what's going on with uh, Extinction Rebellion is is very positive. I think getting out there and really um, getting people to realise the extent of the danger we all face, that's very important. Uh, and unions, you know, we, we need to be able to get out there and mobilise people. And it, it is, it's deeply anti-democratic that if workers today uh, on the 20th of September walk off the job to join the... Str- to the climate strike, they could be prosecuted and there's every chance they would be if they're in the construction industry. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news. We are focusing on climate change, the need for workers to get involved in the future of their work in this new reality, and the upcoming Global Day of Climate Action scheduled for Friday, September the 20th. There is a lot of highfalutin statistics surrounding climate change, and although scientists agree we should be worried, money makers and right-wing think tanks are saying nothing to see here. But for workers all around the globe, they are feeling the pinch. First, let's hear from Tim Kennedy from the National Union of Workers and then Janet Roden from the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association about their union's response to the rally set for September the 20th. Well, for us, um, it's a fundamental question because uh, the issue of taking action to deal with the climate crisis affects workers and that tends to get a lot of coverage in the media. But the response to take no action or inaction on the climate crisis is fundamentally worse for working people. So we represent workers uh, in all sorts of sectors that are impacted by the climate crisis that the world is going through at the moment. So, for example, a factory opened by a multinational called Nestle in Dennington in southwestern Victoria 110 years ago uh, just decided to close its doors in the last month and for the fundamental reason is uh, drought. Ongoing drought means there's not enough milk supply to process uh, milk in that part of southwestern Victoria. So we see that in our dairy industry, ongoing severe droughts are undermining that. We also see it in the fact that 
we're organising workers in the uh, horticultural supply chain and it has an international dimension. So not only is there an issue about water, making certain that people can actually grow sustainable crops, but we have many of the workers who work in those crops come from our um, South Pacific neighbours. They come here because essentially they need to get decent work and those those countries they come from will be the first affected to go underwater, if you like, as the climate crisis worsens. So there's an international dimension uh, and as a fundamental worker um, worker decency dimension. That is, you know, we need to confront the fact that if we don't deal with these issues, what type of jobs are our kids going to have? What type of meaningful work will they have in the future? I mean, our union is actually in the process of uh, our members are voting right now to form a new union, the United Workers Union, with United Voice, and we hope to be a union of over 155,000 nationally. But the type of areas that our workers work in is is in fundamental food production, uh, pharmaceutical production. We're in the energy area, so we're, we're involved in you know uh, oil refining and the like. So our our members and workers are in those areas that, are, that have to change. So there's a there's a transition in the way that we derive our energy in the world occurring. I mean, Australia's been pretty chaotic about it, but that energy transition is happening. Our workers will be subject to that, who are members of our union. Automation is coming to the big warehouses and manufacturing food plants that our members work at. And we need to be able to deal with these challenges, especially in the context of the climate emergency, because uh, the one voice that is not being heard in how we actually transition in a just way in this is, is the voice of workers. And so it's very easy for the populist right to create, a, uh, to create a, a situation where if you want to support working people, you have to support the mine and Adani or, or nothing else. So it's, it's a cruel choice that's been put in front of working people. And our union believes that uh, we all live on the same planet and we also need to confront these issues because so, we work in every sector. Well, look, why would your well-paid members of the oil and gas industry, why would they support the students who are inviting us to stand with them to close down the fossil fuel industry, basically? And, um, you know, they're doing stop Adani and go for 100, you know, very simple slogans. But why would your members in that sort of area go to a strike on September the 20th? I mean, how would they square it with themselves? That's their bread and butter. Yeah, well, that's the nature of the large democratic union because at the moment, uh, put to them like that, they probably wouldn't support it. What, what, they, what they want is, is certainty in their lives and some hope that they actually will have a stake in the future and do it in a way that's just. So uh, it's, a, it's going to be a long conversation inside our union about how workers in the oil and gas industry are able to transition uh, and to be workers in the next generation of of energy transition and and production, whether that be renewable hydrogens or what have you. But it's going to be a real challenge for us because uh, we can ignore it and just say everything just stays the same and when we get locked into that climate inaction or as a democratic organisation that actually wants a future for the next generation and also wants a future for workers now, we actually have to have these conversations, educate ourselves and find a way to participate in the political debate rather than have people do all that thinking for us and impose outcomes on working people. A number of the things that we're looking at at the moment is how do we um, change the ownership structures uh, in this country so there's more democratic ownership of energy. Our worker cooperative in the area of uh, 
community-owned power cooperative is an important example of one, but we also want to look at ways that we can actually have uh, contribution to clean energy jobs, uh, uh, locally-based worker-owned cooperatives. Uh, also, we also want to work out ways that how we can uh, give workers a say in what a just transition looks like. We also want to fill in this idea, what does a Green New Deal look like in the context of Australia? People use that slogan a lot. What we want to do is fill in the gaps and put some meat on the bone. And the building of this new union will fundamentally give us an opportunity to actually talk on a much greater scale because you can see in all the sectors that we work, uh, there is there is great challenges for the way that workers will transition and then we'll have to transition because it will come. It, automation is coming. The change of our energy mix is coming. The one thing that's missing with all this is a worker voice and we just want to make certain that we're starting to do that thinking, having those conversations inside our union now, that we stand with the next generation, for example, on the 20th of September and, and say that, you know, as difficult as it is, we want to be part of that part of a solution, not part of... You know, oh, I think it'll be quite big, um, I'm hoping, because as you know, we're working with other unions that are supporting the students. I mean, school students are very concerned for their future and the future of the world. They don't see any action from politicians in Australia, and of course they want unions to support them, and that's what we will do. There are many unions, the MUA, the PSA, ASU, ANWU, Unions New South Wales, the NTEU and New South Wales NMA, us. And we will work in solidarity with these unions and with the students. We hope we will have a very large contingent of people. As I say, we're, prepare, we're preparing, we're sending out... Um, um, all members are getting uh, letters with suggestions about what they can do. I do know one of them is to just go at lunchtime, do actions perhaps on site, Perhaps um, even, um, you know, you can send messages to your politicians. I think lobbying politicians is very powerful. And in this case, it's really got to be the Fed, doesn't it? We have to get to them. We have to tell them we're not happy with them. You're listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News. We are focusing on the Global Day of Action set for the September the 20th across the country. Students have invited adults to join them on the streets to let politicians and business realise that climate is where we need to focus our energies for the future. Tommy John Herbert and M. Dell are MUA members, the union that covers maritime workers. Let's hear why they believe the issue of climate is workers and union business. Uh, to me, um, I think it's for me, I'm, I'm I'm a unionist. I was I was brought up with um, you know the principles that we we need uh, you know fair conditions and fair pay for for workers, and we need to be able to um, you know challenge the boss on those on those things. And so I, I respect those principles. And um, the unions have always maintained um, get, uh, getting jobs for for members, but you know unfortunately you get put in jobs uh, that I think are morally um, quite difficult at times, especially with the fossil fuel industry. Mm. So, but for me, trying to, uh, if we can transition into an industry, which is, which, you know, solves that kind of also moral dilemma and, and is like, has those same union uh, conditions um, and principles, I think 
that's something that um, everyone should really strive for. And uh, I think it, it is up to us as workers to, to actively change the landscape we operate in. Um, it's, it's up to us to, to get involved in the climate strike movement because essentially it's up, uh, us workers, we're going to have the industrial power because we're organised on those on those workplaces to really uh, put pressure on um, on the government, we can we can go on strike. We can um, go out and have these mass demonstrations, and um, that's why I think it's it's, it's necessary for for all workers uh, within all industries that have the capacity go to go to a renewable sector um, to to get involved. You said I'm in the maritime industry. I'm a wharfie. I work at Port Botany unloading container vessels when I was a student on campus and it was on, on the university that I learned about the green band, about the idea of, of workers' power and that actually, you know, we're up against these huge fossil fuel companies but they still rely on ordinary people to do the job to make, you know, the economy keep running and the profits ticking over. And, and what I learned about reading about the green bands was that... You know, when workers feel empowered, when they're taking social justice issues head on, that we can actually exert some control over what we do with our labour. And the BLs, they refuse to demolish low-income housing. They refuse to demolish bushlands. And huge areas of Sydney, iconic areas of Sydney, were saved by their decisions. Places like the Rock, places like the Botanical Garden, Centennial Park, all these iconic areas of Sydney would have been demolished to build uh, highways or, you know, office blocks, things like that. But they actually took a stand, a very brave and a very radical stand, and simply refused to carry out those tasks in the name of the social good and said, actually, why shouldn't our labour be used to do something constructive and good for the community? And I think that... That's the that's the lesson that we need at the moment. Actually, working people can be at the forefront of saying we want to put our labour, our work, towards a future for our kids, a future for ourselves, a sustainable planet, good good communities. These sorts of things. Uh, you know, time's up for the politicians. We have to take back the power in our own hands. We finish our report on the Global Day of Action set for September the 20th with some words from George Monbiot, journalist and climate activist. It starts off where they say, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening, and then they say, OK, it is happening, but it's too late to do anything about yeah. it. <laughs> and not for one moment in between did they say, it's happening and therefore we ought to act. Yeah. Despair's a cop-out, just like denial. It's a get-out clause. It's, it's to tell yourself you've got no agency. But, my God, we have got agency. If a 15-year-old schoolgirl's got agency, we have got agency. That's it for us together today. Our thanks go to Vivian Langford from Zero Emissions Community Program on 3CR, whose work made this episode of Stick Together possible. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. Now, until next time, stick together.